0: listening to the Food Talk Show. Hi there, my name is Sue Nelson and for the next half hour or so, we're going to be talking all things food and drink. I'm joined by my fellow presenter, Ollie Lloyd of Great British Chefs. Hi there, Ollie.
1: Hey, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing fine. As usual, we're never happier than when we've got stuff to taste. No, no, I know. It's it's exciting. We've got stuff to taste. Now, our guests today are James Law of Long Flint Drinks. Hi, James. Hi. I'm a little fan of your hibiscus gin and tonic thanks so much. and uh, Jeremy Pang of School of Walk who's Hello. regularly on the television aren't you <laughs> walking away yeah radio is a bit different for me isn't it, radio, love it. <laughs> we love radio we love radio so um, we're gonna we're gonna start with um, with you James now you won a food talk awards that was all in the taste drink awards so yeah so we love you because that's one of our radio awards well done
2: fantastic thanks so much
0: um, and basically you hand make a range of tonics and seltzers which i always have trouble saying <laughs> and sodas and then you match them with gin or rum or vodka or whatever it might yeah, be yeah
2: that's one way of putting it i mean we uh, we actually come from a craft beer background so everything that we do is heavily influenced by the craft beer scene you know from the way that we make things to the way we sort of communicate them and the way that we aspire to creating products that are as best as they can be so yes, we make uh, we make the bases of our drinks from our arch in Bethnal Green, very craft beer esque, uh, and very then we match them, exactly, exactly. And then we we collaborate. Every drink that we make is then in collaboration with a craft beer producer, whether it be East London liquor or Kiki Wiki mezcal or Rumboonian rum. We go out and we find our personal favourite pick of the best independent craft spirits producers, and we say. OK, we're going to make a ginger drink. Uh, what do we want that drink to taste like? Who do we want to partner with? And how do we go out and make that? Mm. So, yeah, that's in a nutshell what we do.
0: Well, now, my favourite drink of all time is Negroni. Mm. And
1: Ollie's favourite drink of all time is Mescal, I think. Mm. Which no, was no, no, no. Well, I no. thought it was. Well, there's the, there's uh-huh. the Arak. The with the Arak. Sri Lankan Arak. Ah, OK. But for me, the old-fashioned is... The killer, okay. the killer cocktail. Okay.
0: So I'm going to just tell you a little bit about Negroni because you might not know about Negroni. Um, the most widely reported account is that it was first mixed in Florence in 1919. don't know whether you knew that, James. Um, and Count Camillo Negroni concocted it by asking the bartender to strengthen his favourite cocktail, the Americano, mm. which is one measure Campari, one measure red vermouth uh, with some soda. But he asked the bartender to add some gin because obviously it wasn't strong enough. And uh, and then he added an orange garnish, so you can tell the difference between that and, uh, you know, the normal one, which would have a lemon garnish. Um, and then the Negroni family founded the Negroni Distillery because it was so popular. That's right. Mm. And Orson Welles was a bit of a fan. Was he? I didn't mm. know that. That doesn't yeah. surprise me. He probably <laughs> likes me of everything. Yeah, I think he probably did like me. And he described it by saying, the bitters are excellent for your liver... The gin is bad for you. They balance each other perfectly.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. See,
0: and that is my favourite drink because I love that Italian sourness. Yeah, and then then there's a slight bit of soft sweetness there with if you get feels. decent vermouth. Not sorry. Yeah, sorry, martini, but not that one. You want the good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. Toshier, yeah, 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 definitely. It feels quite exotic still, doesn't it? It's like a drink it's that very some
2: exotic. people will look at you and think you're crazy drinking that. It's yeah. the bitterness. So I think there's like a a sort of almost. Um, a challenge around it, and if you like it, and other people don't like it, that kind
0: of feels oh, like, quite I'm good quite like sometimes. That. Yeah, um, you do an agronie one, don't
2: you? We do, but we do it slightly differently. Again, so there's a an agronie called a ceballiero. So the theory behind oh, this yeah. is so, that, that. Uh, if you a speed rail is uh, is what a a bartender will have when they're you see them sort of getting all their drinks ready, and if they grab the prosecco instead of the gin, they've uh-huh. made a mistake. So they add the prosecco into the drink. It's longer, it's lighter, it's slightly carbonated. And um, Italian for broken or mistake is sabbiato. So a Negroni sabbiato <laughs> is made with a prosecco instead of a gin. So that's what our drink is. But we go another step further. And we add a little bit of orange juice to it to make it slightly lighter and fruity. And we call it a session Negroni because a session, uh, <laughs> a session, right. a session Negroni. A bit like uh, again going back to beer. A bit like uh, the Americans started making. Um, making uh, session IPAs which are lower, so in America an IPA will be 7-8%, uh, a session IPA will be 5%. So on the Valleato is 5% alcohol, so that means you can have 3 or 4 of them in the same sort of pace that you would with beer without finding yourselves... On the floor. ...making a mistake. Mm. That's,
3: that's what we need tonight. I'm going yeah. out tonight, so I'll try that. Yes. <laughs> no, we're only Sibaliato. Yeah. Sibaliato. Yeah.
0: You haven't bought any for me, though, have you, no, no. No, we
2: not, didn't. We didn't. We focused on the gins yeah, today. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> you did say the gin was your yeah. favourite.
0: Yeah, well, you know.
2: Sorry, you we'll know. get some more sent over.
0: No, <laughs> I know you also have a mezcal one. Um, we do. And, and And that is a distilled alcoholic beverage made from... Any type of is it called agave? agave. So I pronounce it yeah. yeah, and and that's mostly from Mexico, which is where you drink it, isn't it? Because you're well travelled, but have,
1: traveled, I have travel. yeah, drunk mm. Mm.
0: Um, and uh, for anybody who doesn't know, the agave plant looks a little bit like a cactus, but it's not a cactus. Its flowers are edible, and the sap tastes like honey water. Mm. And it's thought that the fermentation of this mash, uh, which is then distilled, has been going on for 200 years. So yeah, a traditional drink. Um, and generally, it's got a sort of smoky flavour, I would say.
1: Yeah.
2: Do, do you know where lethal. the smoke comes from? No. Wow. So I was out in Oaxaca last
1: Christmas. That is a great place. It's an awesome not, place. Not, not I restaurant. spent a Christmas in Oaxaca once.
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh, Fantastic. A Love it. Mm. I could talk about that a lot, mm. but let's focus on the Mezcal. Yep. Different spelling to the Britishization of Oaxaca, it's the proper yeah. Mexican place, obviously. And what they do is they take the heart of the agave plant, which actually is a succulent, but it's, it wouldn't look like a succulent to you and I, and they slice all the leaves off. And when they've done that, it looks a bit like a pineapple big, big pineapple, 200 pounds. And it's called a piña, which is the Mexican word for pineapple. Mm-hmm. And they slice it in half and they bury it in a pit that's lined with. Um, people think it's volcanic rocks i still say that but apparently they're river rocks strictly speaking <laughs> sounds to me like that would explode but i didn't argue with the guy who was telling me this at the time uh you wouldn't have either no probably not <laughs> uh, and they light a big fire in a pit uh, they wait for the fire to burn down then they put the piñas in and they cover it in earth and they let it sit there for two or three days so the process of turning the starch into sugar which is basically what a lot of uh Production of alcohol it's is involved natural with It's not fermentation, really. It's not really the fermentation. It's the conversion. It's the chemical conversion okay. from starch to sugars, which you
3: can then ferment. And that comes from the heat?
2: Yeah, so oh, the okay. heat process. Same with when you're malting whiskey. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, malts or whiskey. That's where you get the smoke from in the traditional right. purpose, because of the peat. So it's a very similar process. Once it's been uh, heated for two or three days, it's obviously... Um, has a huge amount of that smoke embedded into the into the pina. So when they turn that into a beer, which is the first process, no hops, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, that then the smoke follows the process through there. Then they distill it, and the smoke carries on again. So you end up with this wonderful, rich, maybe not rich because it's obviously it's a white spirit, but this kind of amazing smoky spirit. And uh, when I was there, they had a an IBC, which is one of those big plastic containers, um, which I thought was for washing your hands after you'd been tasting this sticky agave. <laughs> uh, Pulp. Pulp, and I say, can I wash my hands? And they're like, yeah, I go over there, wash your hands, turn on the tap of the IBC, the water starts sliding out, and all of a sudden I hear this big shout, no, wrong IBC, pure mezcal, that I'm washing my hands. <laughs> wow,
0: wow, wow. Did
2: nice. you lick your fingers? I did, many times, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so very fascinating product.
0: And you make a grapefruit sour cherry and mezcal palm.
2: Paloma, yeah. So a paloma, if you go to a bar, um, I don't know, in Santa Fe or something, will be Ting grapefruit soda, which is packed full of sugar and all that kind of stuff, with uh, with tequila and it's an interesting drink, but we decided to make something that's a little bit more refined now, um, we took a cold pressed grapefruit juice from Sundance in Covent Garden, so there, if you work in the bar industry, you'll often see Sundance juices they're very pure, unpasteurized, uh, amazing things, they literally just squish the fruit Send it to us, that's all they do. And then we make a sour cherry and thyme macerate, which is the process of putting...
0: That sounds really nice. (laughs) Yeah,
2: Yeah. so we take a, a dried sour cherry and just fresh thyme, and we put it in overproof vodka at 60% for two days to pull out the flavor f- yeah. from that. Then we blend all of that together, add the mezcal from Kiki Riki, who uh, are based in Homerton. So um, we say it's, it's mezcal... Keeping it from, local. Yeah, it's mezcal from Wahakavai Homerton, which I quite like. <laughs> and, um, and then, yeah, carbonate it, obviously, and that's our drink. Um, now, we are the first people in the world to have made a bottled, ready-to-drink Mezcal product. And we actually got interviewed by um, the sort of leading Mezcal blog uh, in the States, funnily enough, in California, I think There's it is. a
0: Mezcal blog.
2: Yeah, Mezcalista. yeah. <laughs> oh, if you're involved in Mezcal, then you, you read the Mezcalista's blog. They were, like, phoning me up saying, why are you crazy guys in London using Mezcal? You know, how the hell did this come
0: about? So we tell them the story and I forget. So that, that was quite good fun. But James, you haven't bought any for me to taste. No, either, I'm, so
1: I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. We'll give you our address. You can send. Some, I will do. Some I will stuff. do. If you've not tried it, you absolutely have to. It's I mean, the, the interesting thing, though, about, about the product you've got, though, is that they are ready to drink yep. cocktails. And that's a really emerging sector because mm-hmm. if you look at the cocktail world at home, I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. when, when people go out to bars and they might have a cocktail, but actually the cocktail consumption at home remains relatively conservative in the sense that it's gin and tonic, it's vodka and tonic, it might be something else on a combination. And even, take Mezcal as an example, I mean, less than 2% of people are actually claiming to drink that at home regularly.
2: Is that right? Yeah, so I
1: mean, even amongst a foodie population, it Mm. has not yet really caught on. And I think what's interesting about the cocktail spaces is that obviously, you know, the food world really benefits from the master chefs and the bake-offs and the great British menu and and lots of sites like great British chefs that are celebrating how to create really interesting food, but actually the cocktail making thing remains relatively mm. niche. And but, I think but
0: any drinks program is is,
1: is, is banned basically. Yeah. yeah, which
0: is such a shame because that mm. they're so frightened of making a drinks program, i.e. that you could be blending star fort that 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 it's completely off off the television. It's and, mad.
1: And you talk about the, the process you've just described, which I've seen as well. You know, the mezcal making in, outside of Oaxaca. Actually, these are beautiful processes, and it you know actually helps people to understand how these drinks are made and what what goes into it and the craft that goes into them mm-hmm. mm-hmm. but I'm interested that you know so you you've you've taken the approach of going down the pre-mixed drink is that is this mainly for at home consumption or is it you know where, where are you trying to yeah
2: it's, it's funny I mean um again. Beer, Beer's my background. So I was working uh, at a brewery called Crate over in Hackneywick. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Which, if you've yeah. not been, you should go. Amazing nice. pizza, great beer, canal side location. In the summer, mm. awesome.
1: Which now, basically, before the Olympics, would essentially have been a war zone. Yeah, well, <laughs> there's
2: a story about yeah. that. Well, I, well yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, we can come on to that. But um, when I was working there, uh, obviously they have this well, not obviously, but they have this incredible tap room where mm. the staff, the people that work there, the brewers are all excited about beer. And so they should be, and that's what they're creating. So they sell their own beer, but they also sell beer from the rest of London and beer from around the world, America, and places like this. Now, if you come to Crates and you don't drink beer, you're in a bit of a pickle. You've come on, you know, a craft journey, let's say. If you want to sort of adopt the marketing speak. And you arrive there and you you say, I don't drink beer, so you're handing you a glass of red wine or a glass of prosecco, which is a bit is a bit boring. So um the inspiration for Longflint came about. Well there must be something that can be produced with the same sort of care and attention as beer that is ready to drink. And I didn't really think about the category. I didn't really think about know, the history of what these are, the alco pop and all that, which, you know, people always want to talk to us about. Um, I just wanted to make drinks that were really natural, that tasted amazing, that used great craft spirits. But
0: your stuff's far too grown up to be described as an alco pop. Yeah, I guess, um, <laughs> I you know, when is, people though. are looking for sort of connections
2: Looks. to what it is that yeah. we are, that's, and if they're from the 80s, 90s, that's something they talk yeah. about. Um, but, but, <laughs>
1: but, but, but this category but, doesn't really exist. I mean, the ready-to-drink no, cocktail category is, so doesn't do you know so you know you walk into a bar and most of the time the barmen are average you know mm. you take your average bar they're obviously a place where there are some incredible bartenders yeah sure sure but you take your average pub like god mm. help you if they try and start knocking up exactly. cocktail. so i think that space is really interesting yeah so
2: we we talk about a couple of things we we talk about we're not here to replace the drama and the the excitement of the cocktail if you go to if you go to um zetta townhouse for example Yeah, you know, or Colbert, you know yeah. yeah yeah you put your your best bib and tuck on you take your friends and you go two or three times a year and you have an amazing time I think historically people that have tried to do a bottle cocktail have tried to recreate that Mm. Um, now we talk about the mojito the mojito is an amazing drink you know you're at a bar uh, there's a girl mixing you a drink. The mints going in, the sugars going in, the rums going in. The light, everyone's high fiving, and you sit there and you drink it. If you go to your mates barbecue and you take the ring pull off a can, it's like a big balloon deflating. It's never gonna, it's never gonna hit that sort yeah, of same it's level. It's a nice looking can, though. Yeah. Absolutely, but this is different. So what, yeah. what, what, what we talk about is we, we don't talk about recreating. We talk mm. about creating. So the hibiscus gin tonic, which we have here, is made by cold brewing hibiscus flowers. Then we make a tonic water with that brew by adding acids from apple and pear and some natural quinine, and then East London liquors uh, gin, and that's the drink that we've made. Do that's spectacular. Of so course, J- yeah, well, so one. James, can
0: you like, stop we talking? Crack it open? Yeah, yeah right, get, get that, we that open so we can have a chat. So this um, is the um, hibiscus gin and tonic. This is our award-winning one from the um, Food Talk Radio Awards. Um, one of the things in your research, Ollie, um the cost of pre-made drinks. So so we know um, Pratesh Modi from World of Thing and he does make an amazing negroni, by the way, proper yes, full strength. Yes,
3: absolutely, yeah, yeah.
0: But you're talking about £34 a bottle. That's quite expensive.
3: We just necked our water to, to replace yeah. the gin. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that, that <laughs> I think, that's...
1: But, Cheers, but the, the, the reality is Cheers. there is a... There's a challenge around all these categories. The same is true of the world of tea, yeah. and the same is true of the world of coffee. Which is eventually people do understand that you need to spend a certain amount of money on the raw material, and you're prepared to therefore upsell. But mm. I mean, what, what are these? What are your bottles? So the bottle we're looking at is what a 150 mil 250, 200, mil, 250 mil, 250 mil. Yeah, and there's a 250 mil bottle with a. Metal cap, and that's retailing at
2: well in Whole Foods or fifteen pounds <laughs> The the bottles three ninety nine. The cans about two seventy nine. So it's really interesting the point about the 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 bars and pubs. A lot of our trade, the on trade, which is bars and pubs and restaurants and that kind of thing, um, come to us because the beer, the craft beer thing, is taking over in the same way that gastro pubs did fifteen twenty years ago. Every pub now that is. Uh, trying to push that quality message serving craft beer or what, what we like to talk about is local beer. If you serve great local beer, then these products are probably going to be right for you because your staff, again, are trained to talk about craft beer and to serve craft beer in the best way possible. They're not trained to serve cocktails. And exactly the point you were highlighting, if you go into a pub and you ask for a cocktail, there's a very good chance you'll end up with an, an abomination. Mm. So we're creating things that... Yes, they're bottle cocktails, but they're made in this with that same ethos as craft beer. So therefore, the staff, the owners, can feel proud to serve them, and hopefully, the customers enjoy drinking them mm. because they are drinks that you know, cold brew, hibiscus flowers, mm. uh, mezcal mm. with thyme and cherry macerates. They're stories and they're they're crafted with quality and care and attention. And they taste. But great.
1: at three quid, you're actually at the same kind of level as a you know a quality beer. I mean, for a 10. Yeah, I mean,
0: one of the things you were saying to me before we went on air is that you can quaff this at the same pace as somebody's drinking a beer Yeah. because it's 5%.
3: Oh, it's so easy Mm. to drink, isn't it? Do you like it? I mean, it's only... Don't don't say
0: what time (laughs) it is. I get abuse on Twitter when you do
3: that. It's only a... What do you think? It's still early. Yeah. What do you think? Um, It's before 6 o'clock. I love it. Absolutely love it.
0: It's got a lot... It's not sweet. It's got a a tiny... It's so easy to drink. Yeah. I mean, I'm a... (laughs) Scary.
3: Gin fan, anyway, but you know, yeah, like the Chinese Floyd today, but yeah, but um, yeah, I love it. Great, excellent, it 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 smells particularly good. What 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 makes it what makes something craft? I've, I've, I mean, I'm actually of the the drinks industry, so I don't really.
0: So while you're doing that, Jeremy, can you open the other one?
3: (laughs) This one or this one? You want some more of the (laughs) hippies? No, 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 no. I was going to
0: try this one, yeah, of course, of course. We have to answer Jeremy's question. Craft is
2: a very thank you, um, abused term, So the way that I talk about craft is that. I think um, it's the desire to use the best ingredients that you can to make the best product that you can. Mm-hmm. So if you're eating um, amazing cheese from Franche Comte, a great okay. four-year-old aged Comte cheese, yeah. what the, the the cheese producer has done is he started with the grass, right? Mm-hmm. And he's decided that the best grass with the best oh. cow will produce the best milk that will produce the best cheese, and then if you age that correctly, you end up with the best product. Mm-hmm. That, to me, is craft in as much as a brewer will put together for a recipe for a double IPA using the best malt bill the best hops right um the best water because water is a huge part of the brewing process so
0: basically craft means you're not lazy <laughs> but I
2: no the I think it's it's the, the real way it's not no, the, but the, problem the right is these
1: way? are marketing words and i say yeah. this yeah. terribly as That's a Unilever problem. marketer yeah. is that you know you do end up sort of saying you know the word that i hate the most is homemade
3: Mm, like mm. What
1: the hell does that mean? Does is that it, mean you made it at made home? Hand, but when, but when,
3: when was it started? Who started using it? That's it's the a craft. craft. Yeah. Craft—it's obviously clearly come from craft beer. It's an American term. It's, it's American, an American term. Okay. So we we had microbrewing,
2: yeah. real ale. Obviously, Canberra yeah. did the real ale thing, yep. and there was microbrewing, then there's craft beer. Right, and okay. I think it's really important that these terms do exist because it allows people to make a judgment on what they're buying. Right, but it has to
1: be backed up with authenticity. But so, if, so yeah, when, when they are not protected the way that no, like, PDOs or what, PDOs whatever. Yeah, whatever. but, yeah. but yeah.
0: the real problem with that um, is is that they will be hijacked yeah. by yeah. marketing yeah. But then authenticity can't be hijacked. You know, authenticity can't be hijacked. So
3: that's the key. Fine. So A large brewery brings out a craft beer. I've always been very sceptical about Mm, that mm. because I just don't... See how that can anyway be compared to something that you yeah. guys are making. Because, yeah. because
0: what they yeah. will do is they'll yeah. take a photo of some old bloke that they've picked off the road who looks right. a bit, you know, sort of hippie, yeah. and then use him on the cover of something right. to try, yeah. Yeah. To yeah. try yeah. To yeah. and it's pretend right. that that person is involved in the, in the making process. And, and this is not. why
2: people get very upset about it. But yeah. actually, right. if you go to the London Craft Beer Festival that was on last month, or if you go to the Bristol Craft Beer Festival that's coming up next week, it's so obvious that these are products that are made with all of that care and attention with the best yeah. ingredients. So we can get upset about about it, But actually, it right. doesn't matter because because yep. people see, either see through it and they they're sure. happy with the pr- products that they buy, yeah, or they don't th- see through it and they feel like they're getting a better well, experience. You get, you anyway, get, you get different
3: like, types of consumers. Yeah, though, that yeah. I, ex- I
2: don't think it matters. You'll be exposed
3: in the it's end. It's like the the the, the the drinks version of artisan, maybe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, exactly, you know. exactly yeah. Right. So
0: if I can if I can move you guys on a bit here, yeah. I've. I'm having a great time here,
1: so I'm I'm
0: drinking the while you're all chatting. She actually
1: lying on the floor. I can't. Actually, you can't tell that now because now we're filming this. We actually no. can't lie so, about. So this.
0: this is wild hedgerow gin and tonic. That's now right. the problem I have with this is you, it just that I'll just I'll just swallow that. Great. And well, okay. Really
2: go for it. So it's five percent alcohol. Five point two percent alcohol. Not
0: too bad.
2: Ooh, yeah. So but it's got
0: that nice. Gin junipery taste. Yeah, okay. hedgerow makes it a little bit earthy. So
2: you're getting chamomile. You're getting hawthorn berry. Get lemon verbena and woodruff.
1: Mm. Do you know this? What this would be an excellent replacement for? I've been having um, I've been drinking pucker bedtime tea and yogi Puka. bedtime tea. Yeah, tea. Actually, you can, have a, you can have a gin and gin and <laughs> tonic before <laughs> bed. And you get the chamomile. So it's actually yeah. this is not this actually is not a drink. This is a bedtime medicinal. I do you, do you cool think it, do, you,
3: do you think it's good for kids?
0: <laughs>
2: uh,
1: Can I just put a warning on this? <laughs> yeah.
0: Clearly for adults, and it must be drunk sensibly. Yeah.
2: So uh, what we've tried it's to do here bad. is um, <laughs> the the gin in the tin again is a, is a horribly abused uh, product category. And there's some great ones, uh, actually. Some of the big high street ones are pretty nice. Like the Gordon's Gin Tea is not a terrible product. It it's is. It is
0: not brilliant though. Sorry.
2: But it's there are a lot worse. There yeah. are a lot worse. Um, what we wanted to do was make uh, a drink that. Um, you know, would stand on its own two feet Picnic. wherever it was served. So, if a bartender was to serve this, it would taste as good as something that they were able to make. Now, that's quite a big challenge. Hmm. It's quite a big claim, and we're prepared to be proven wrong. Hmm. But we think we've created something that has the softness, the roundedness, the intrigue, the uh, that kind of step up in flavour. Uh, excitement, if you like, mm. um, but using completely natural ingredients. So there's nothing. I mean, natural again, very abused word. But we use a thing called hydrolats, which are actually part of the the perfume process. Um, so they, they when they start to distill flavors out of um, raw materials, uh, there are all sorts of different phases of that process, and we use the hydrolats. So the chamomile, the woodruff, the hawthorn berry, and the lemon verbena are all created specially for us in the West Country. Then we use those ingredients with again natural quinine. Um, and then East London Liquors London Dry Gin again. So it's a really natural product mm. that hopefully just changes the perception of what a gin in the tin can be. And our little tagline, which we may or may not use, is the gin in the tin that changes everything, right? Because it's like, <laughs> hopefully for the first time, people are going to go, yes, here's a drink that I really oh, want to
0: have. Oh, definitely great what's, for it's great for.
2: Woodruff is a tiny little white flower that grows in the hedgerows.
0: So, um if you've not heard of Longflint before, you need to go to longflint.com. They they're pretty much everywhere now, so you should be able to find them fairly easy. great packaging.
3: Thank you. Um
0: thank you for that James. Now we're going to have a little bit of noise in the studio now
3: mm-hmm. because
0: um, Jeremy Pang, School of Walk, has joined us. He forgot to bring his wok stuff with him. So we just got somebody just delivering the
3: Lucky wok I've got a good team. the wok stuff
0: into the studio. This what you can hear in the background. <laughs> now, um, you are, you, you're a young, this is my research here, Jeremy, young and talented chef <laughs> hailing from three generations of Chinese chefs. And you developed your passion for food um, and soon realised the importance and, and sort of correlation, I guess, between basic cooking skills and eating well. Um, I know that you've often been spotted on shows such as Sunday Brunch. <laughs> you're the author of two um, best-selling cook- cookbooks, Chinese Unchopped, and Hong Kong Diner, and um, one one of uh, Great British Chefs' friends. Absolutely, we are, we, yeah, we've yeah. We lots
3: of stuff together over we've the worked, years. We worked together for quite a few years, haven't yeah. we? Yeah, mm. it's. Uh... But we're
1: both still young. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> don't think I'm still young anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I know that feeling. I
1: know that. Feeling.
0: So, so just before we go on yeah. to what you're doing at School of Walk, yep. Um, the quality of Chinese takeaways in this country is dreadful. It's absolutely <laughs> you can't hold them responsible for appalling.
3: <laughs> I am, really, I am it, part really of one, u- one little takeaway group actually, but it's yeah, it is. Um, it's a tough industry, I Jeremy. Think. It really upsets me because yeah. in
0: no way is a reflection of how beautiful Chinese cooking can be. Yeah, I mean, it's it, completely
3: different. isn't I, I I do agree with you. Like you put it this way, even with 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 the, the sort of takeaways that I've I've sort of worked with, it took quite a few almost years for them to convince me to work with them and that, you know, it, it's a tough industry because the Chinese have been around for a long time, and, you know, quite a few generations we've, we've, we've been over in, in the UK and all over the world. And what's what's very good about Chinese food is it's very adaptable. So it, it sort of moves across the world very, very easily with, with, within our communities um the the issue is that i think over over time chinese um sort of business people have been quite good at um sort of saving cash here wherever possible and and uh, we do this tour out in 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 Chinatown we take people around and we talk around sort of the development of Chinatown where it came from and actually in the old days it was it was in Limehouse um around that sort of the the docks uh, the docklands um and then uh, it sort of after the 1930s 40s moved over to towards soho area and it, uh, in the 1930s or the, the sort of the, the beginning part of the, the 1900s it it was the trade was very much opium and things like that so the people who wanted to move across and do something outside of um, dealing opium um, trade um they set up shop cooking in and 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 in um, re- restaurants and takeaways and things like that obviously takeaways later now There was a bit of a lull, I think, Um, I mean, I grew up in London, so there was a bit of a lull in Chinatown and and Chinese restaurants as a whole here, where the very first sort of immigrants that that came over from from China would have been from Hong Kong um, and sort of the Canton region. So that Southern cuisine, Southern Chinese cuisine that we all know, sweet and sours, black beans, uh, you know, black bean beefs, all that sort of stuff. And then everyone became the you know, sort of British population became really, really sort of comfortable with that. um I, and and then after that, it was it once where, it became where, a comfort food. Where do you move? From where that? do you go? Yeah, exactly. How do you move a whole population and what they expect us uh, from in terms of in Chinese their food? food it's yeah. Chinese, yeah. So even if now today, you know, I do what I do in school of walk, you know, has grown as it has. It's still a very very small part of the population, and and it really is mainly foodies who we sort of cater for. Outside of that, um, in take local le- takeaways and restaurants. People are the the restaurateurs and business people are, are having to just offer what um, the community, the local British community, see as Chinese food, and that's a barrier in itself. Yeah, but yeah. but that's, in, that's in, Indian food yeah, right. used
0: used to be in that bracket, and I think of uh, Indian food now managed to move a little bit past that. Do you think?
1: But really? I, I, as I, as I think Chinese food has, I think if you look at the London restaurant scene, which yep. is obviously a microcosm of what's mm-hmm. going on, mm-hmm. probably is where the trends are. Mm. You know, you are seeing the breaking apart of it. It's not just about southern, original Hong Kong Chinese food. No. It's become much more complicated. And I think people are beginning to look at these cuisines more closely in order to understand actually how, you know, it's the same with Indian food, what's Goan cuisine, what's Carolyn cuisine, Mm. what's Mm -hmm. Northern Indian food.
0: So in your research at Great British Chefs, you said that 40% of committed food is regularly cooked Chinese food from scratch. Yeah, Um, 22% across the rest of the country. Only Indian food is cooked more regularly um in terms of chinese food how how do you think people are beginning to look at chinese as opposed to asian as opposed to because there's a great movement and <clears throat> um, particularly in city centers i think of people eating asian food which they they think of as healthy you know so you've yeah. got you, you know you've got all sorts of, of of things being sold you know recipes and all sorts of things is I, chinese is chinese I, you know sort of i don't know riding on the coattails of that and taking advantage of it or is it isn't making it more difficult
1: well i think that there are I mean, the, the things are driven by lots of different ends of the spectrum, you know, stuff like what Jeremy's doing with School of Walk is, mm. is you know, at the cook school end of the spectrum, and obviously mm. cook schools are a play a role in this. There's mm. obviously the cuisines of what's happening in restaurants, people mm. like A Wong, mm. who runs the only Michelin-starred mm. um, Chinese restaurant in London, which is mm. phenomenal, yeah, in my yeah, opinion, absolutely. completely redefines yeah. for most people what really high-end Chinese, really great food looks yeah. like. But I think there is also... What I think is extraordinary about this country mm. is we are culinary magpies. Mm. And what we are not doing in, across this country is slavishly recreating authentic Chinese food or Japanese food or Indian food. We're taking ingredients. Those could be udon noodles. they could be miso paste. they could be chili back bean sauce. they could be, yeah. you know, chi chili or there could be any of these things. Mm-hmm. And we're basically playing with them. Yeah. And I think that's what's, what is so extraordinary about this country is... We're cool with that, mm. and we don't kind of follow these kind of canons. And I think that when people say in the UK they are cooking Chinese food, what that really means is they're cooking their version of Chinese. Well, they're cooking
3: yeah. a stir fry and yeah, sort absolutely. Of, you know, or, doing or, their version or whatever it might be. Or or
1: or, dark. And, yeah, you know. yeah.
3: And I, I, yeah, I think I do agree with that to a certain extent. I mean, you know, with, I, I've been very lucky with sort of my to opportunities and media and things like that. And and actually I've been pleasantly surprised with the response that I've had over the last sort of four or five years. When I started this business nine years ago, I thought I'd be maybe running it in, you know, teaching people in their home own homes for about three, four years and then have to go and find a proper job. You know, <laughs> you know, but but it's it's it it has surprised me that the 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 public are, are so intrigued by it. And I think that intrigue comes from the food and the culture being having been here for so many decades mm. and it is as like much like indian food a, a comfort, a comfort. So, Jeremy, yeah.
0: can I just go back then? Because, um, so you started School of Walk in 2009 mm-hmm. at literally humble beginnings as a mobile <laughs> right, door yeah, kitchen. Yeah. Um, now you've got a, a, a very well-established um cookery school in Covent Garden, you've yep. been there since 2012. Yes, and and in a way, that really has become one of the centres for all things related to Asian and oriental yeah. cuisine, hasn't yep. it? Yeah, and, and, and you know, you've got awards and Best mm-hmm. specialist cookery school. You now teach over eight thousand students a year. And as you said, that wasn't quite how yeah. you thought it was going to go. Yeah, thanks
3: for reminding me. It's been a tough <laughs> week, so uh, it's just quite uh, yeah, it's nice to hear it. But yeah, no, it's uh it, it wasn't how I thought it would go. I, I, When I first started, as you, as you say, I was, I was in t- going to people's homes, maybe teaching one to three people in, in someone's house anywhere across the country. Um, I, and I thought that the only way to sort of grow the business at that point would probably be to sort of almost franchise that out to other chefs who might possibly be able to do that same job. Um, that is in itself in terms of sort of creating that ethos and quality of what school of walk now does mm. God, that would uh, that was a terrible business plan <laughs> yeah um so 2010 nev um uh, my business partner joined me he's a west country chef you know and and, and we started something quite similar teaching english uh, sort of western food um but that and that grew quite quickly as well but school of walk when we decided t- in 2012 to go for it we thought you know what no one's really doing this, um, and we know we can do it properly because we had two or three years of training um, to, to test out our customers, and and that's how it happened. So yeah.
0: And in front of us, you've, you've given us some kits. Yeah. So so just describe. feel free to
3: open up. The, yeah, you guys okay. can take them home and try so, them. Yeah. So
0: yep. I've got a school of walk. Love that name.
3: Okay. <laughs> yeah. A Bao Bun um, Kit.
0: I've yeah. got a Bao Bun Kit. So exp- explain to me what Bao Bun is because they're, they're
3: so quite bao trendy is, uh, now. Uh, yeah, so as Ollie said, you know, the trends here obviously a lot of the time they start in London and you know, bao, there's the restaurants like Bao. There's a very secure Tampa seal on this. So, mm. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, But inside you'll see. Um, uh, the, yeah, the, the the bao bun is basically like I would say a Chinese burger, right? Um, uh, you have it in all different shapes and sizes, and the traditional bao would have come from uh, the northern Chinese baozi, which um, which is almost a filled bun. So you know they look like a large dumpling uh, with lots of pleats all the way round, um, and with lots of either minced meat or barbecued pork inside, things like that uh the hirataban or guabao uh, i would say that the sort of the japanese and the taiwanese uh, made them famous around the world um, uh, but they would have taken that uh, northern chinese bao dough and then made their own version of it, much like what happ- What Ollie was talking about here, how we sort of play with different types of food. So that's what they did. They went, oh, well, why don't we make a sort of sandwich bread out of this um, northern Chinese bao dough, see what happens with that. Is that the one that you see, like dim sum, exactly. the big, that's, the crisp top? That's very similar. That's a Cantonese, the, the chassu bao, mm. it's a barbecue pork bun, um, Is a it rises slightly different to this type of dough. It's very very similar, but it has a starter dough to, that feeds into wow. that that makes it crack open. That's mm. what we call the laughing bow, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, but um, <laughs> but the, bao. yeah, the laughing bow yeah. because it's cracked open. It yeah. should be laughing at you, yeah. And 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 then you've got uh, the baozi, which was the original original bun um, from northern China that is in the same shape, just doesn't crack open. Mm. That's this dough here. Okay, that's this flour mix. So we kind of look at that, and and we're very lucky that we work with a lot of restaurateurs, and we do a lot of consultancy and things like that. And and when we do, we sort of get that insight to what the trends are in the restaurant world. I, I believe that it's School of Walk's job to take whatever's happening in what might be the trendiest parts of the city of London or the like the bigger cities in the UK and Really bring it to the masses and make people confident and comfortable and confident to do it at home. Um, so I'm
0: going to describe my yeah, kit that I have yeah, in front of yeah. me. I've got um, a, a bow bun kit, black pepper. In yes. Mine. Yeah. It says here I can make my own bows in 30 minutes, and I've just opened it. And I've, there's, a, there's a little recipe um, on the lid, so I can follow that uh, step by step with lots and lots of pictures, which is great. I've got a, a bow flour mix, mm-hmm. so presumably I just use this yeah and, and what's what's additional. interesting about
3: that is if if you wanted to make this at home and i'm guessing ollie you might have made it or you guys might have tried it but you, you 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 have to go to a chinese supermarket to get the specialist flour mm. then you have to um get your yeast and your baking powder and you're essentially making a yeast dough. um but your yeast and baking powder off the shelf is nowhere near as good a quality or as strong as what you can get in commercial terms so you would have to Sort of the rising time would be a one and a half to two hours. Mm. Uh, this is 10 minutes rising time. <laughs> is it wheat, wheat flour? It's a wheat flour, mm. um, flour. but milled to a finer grain and a western plain flour. Mm. Okay,
0: so I've got my flour so so I can make my uh my, my bow there. I've got a black pepper glaze, yep. so all of the ingredients in a, a lovely, yeah. You can either them. mix
3: it with some beers, so maybe some craft uh, beer, gin, whatever you <laughs> want to mix, and then uh, uh and then or, or some water, yeah, yeah. Uh, and you'll and you'll get your glaze, yeah. And then I've got a dry rub so I can put this on my meat. And now, that's essentially a five-spice black pepper yeah. rub. Yeah.
0: Now, Ollie likes to cook squirrel at home, so... Mm-hmm. Oh, do you? You could try a s- it with squirrel. You could try it with squirrel. Yeah. You could rub that in with squirrel. That could be
1: an Instagram... Oh, yeah, nice. Squirrel bow. That would be could the be first, be first ever squirrel, squirrel bow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. So you could rub <laughs> that on your squirrel There's this evening's activity. You can't get squirrel very easily in London, though. At least one you'd want to eat. And
3: and there's then, a few it, around my house here. Yeah. And then what's my pickling salts for? Uh, that's basically a sort of crystallised vinegar-salt mix. Um, and it's a cider vinegar, um, and it's been dried and crystallised. And all you have to do is mix that with uh, about 40 grams of water, and then the the salt. Interacts with the vegetables that you want to pickle, uh, and creates more water in itself, and then you get this beautiful pickled veg in about twenty minutes. So,
0: so what I'm going to yeah. get with my kit, then I'm going to get um, some lovely meat, whatever meat I like.
3: Or, yeah. or you might be vegetarian, do something else. Absolutely. Um, but but then I can. I've,
0: that's all on with my glaze on it, and and there's some um, some rub. And, yes. So that will be amazing. Yeah. I've got my 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 bough, which is has, has risen. And yeah. It's yeah. sort of. It's almost like a risen.
3: It's like a white pizza, anyway. Yeah, fluffy, a fluffy white burger. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Fred, yeah. And
0: then I've got some lovely um, vegetables that I've cut up and whatever, and that they're slightly pickled. Yeah. And all of that will make me this lovely
3: yeah. bun, yeah.
0: which is making me very hungry at the <laughs> moment, uh, which I can then just devour. And yeah. I've, I've just made
1: the whole lot. And I, I mean, every, if I had an induction
3: yeah. hob in half an hour, I'd do it for you. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And So
1: the only ingredients you need to buy are the vegetables and... Yeah.
3: I the, mean, we say, you know, uh, half a cucumber and, and one piece of meat. Will do the job, yeah. um, but you know, we. I've been doing. I've been pickling, sort of. Pickled fennel, onion, and carrot, and that's been an absolute treat with a barbecue pork bow. you know. So, um, you know, this is great for you know,
0: when you have Sunday lunch, yes, it, we haven't yeah. actually got to Sunday lunch, it's because it's been too hot
3: recently. But once we start getting
0: into winter, you got a Sunday roast, you got a bit of that meat left over, that'd be amazing.
3: Yeah, I mean, really. the, gla- the glaze, we've said okay, if you want to do it in 30 minutes, you stir fry your meat, you know, slice it up and marinate and stir fry it. But if you, if you roast it, then you just brush the glaze on slowly, like you mm. would a normal roast. So, um, it, it's very versatile. And what what most importantly for us, it's all around fun education. Yeah. Um. Mm. And and if we're going to do anything, even if we're going into supermarkets, has to have that fun and education.
1: So uh, where are these sold at the moment?
3: Uh, Tesco and Lakeland. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, so and we we just launched two weeks ago. Um. We, we yeah we're getting great sell through rates. Uh, already. Um. And it, but it's it's quite an innovative niche product so uh, we're quite we're very excited that Tesco backed it because um you know that, that's something that I, I I wasn't sure about a, a sort of a year or so ago
1: but it's yeah. interesting we we we've just done some research which we haven't fully published yet yep. about ready meals yep. about, and I'm going to put this in the ready meal okay. kind of yep. you know category in the sense that it's 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 a cheat you know you, there's obviously a way you could do this from scratch sure. but you're kind of shortcutting it so it's yep. closer in spirit to you know, HelloFresh, Gusto, yes, yep. you know, Simply um, simply Cook and all yes, those kind yeah, of yeah. brands. Yeah. And I think what's interesting is that how people are consuming this stuff. And mm. I think it is, you know, this stuff, you know, if you don't cook, you are just going to be intimidated. Yeah, of course. Of you course, have got yeah. to be somewhere on the culinary spectrum yeah. to kind of go, A, what is a Baobun? Yeah. Right? You know, most people mm-hmm. will not have heard of them. You yeah. know, you're talking about 10, 12, 15% of the UK population. And then you've got to kind of go, yeah, I want to try that myself, and Absolutely. you're aiding that process. I think yeah. it's
3: really—it's the next bridge for us. You know, we've got books and 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 products and things like that, but for me, it's about actually getting people cooking and sort of getting that ta- ta- tactile yeah. feeling mm-hmm. with the food, yeah.
1: Which is similar to what, so we we do some work with, um, with yeah. Spice Taylor, yeah. who I think have done a really nice job, Correct. actually, yeah. Of, yeah. of of again yeah. introducing people to different types of Indian cuisine and yeah. different ways of cooking. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you know, it, it it you know, it's a it's a transitional. Drug
3: customer confidence product. yeah absolutely well, yeah, no, yeah yeah
0: I definitely recommend if you if you um you know want to try some of these bow buns you never tried one before uh you need to go just, just need to go onto the school of website where we yep. find them yep. great and slash also
3: bows slash
0: bow <laughs> which is spelled b-a-o bow um and if you're interested in the cookery schools which why wouldn't you be You need to get in there fast because we've got 8,000 students a year running through. (laughs) But again, go on to schoolofwalk.co.uk and um, they they literally um, get... Great reviews, don't they? People yeah, I mean the, the school runs
3: itself them. now, and it's and I'm very happy about that, and the, and people just love it, and it's just very homely feel. Yeah, so you're all welcome.
0: Yes, all welcome, yeah. and thanks again to James Law, who didn't bring any Negronium, but anyway, I'll let more <laughs> um, <laughs> long flint drinks. Um, we'll keep a great eye on your your stuff. I I, I think uh, I'll just tip for the top. I think do you think?
1: Thank you. you, very think? Much. Thank you. Mm. Well, we I hope think. so. Well, <laughs> it's going to make <laughs> us all sleep better in the next three months.
0: It certainly is. Yes, have a little bit of that before we go to bed. <laughs> um, and again, if you want to find out about Long Flint, um, it's longflint.com. So thank you to James Law and Jeremy Pang for joining us. You've been listening to the Food Talk Show. We're syndicated to all sorts of radio stations across the UK and further afield, as well as being available on Podbean, iTunes and the podcast app. And did you know, Ollie, we're on Spotify now?
1: Oh, of course we are. Did you
0: know that? (laughs) So thank you to my fellow presenter, Ollie Lloyd of Great British Chefs. If you want to recommend any future guests, someone doing something groundbreaking in the food sector, get in touch with us via Twitter on at foodtalkshow.com. And if you want to listen to any of our hundreds of podcasts, go to foodtalk.co.uk or via the lovely Great British Chefs website. Have a good week. Bye.